today, we've been in a series for a number of weeks now called Holy and Whole. And uh, I did tell you early in the series that I had made a commitment that every time uh, we were going to do a prayer summit in the evening, which is tonight at, at 6 o'clock, 6, yeah, 6 o'clock. Sorry, I always get in my brain two different times. At 6 o'clock, that I would preach on the morning about prayer. So seven times this year, I'm just going to really make the sermon just focused in on prayer and, uh, and, and because we're in the series Holy and Whole, try to tie it in with that as well. Maybe I should quickly say my name is Steve Atkins. I'm the lead pastor here at Hillcrest Church. <laughs> I don't usually introduce myself, but uh, I, I did introduce myself to several newcomers this morning and I thought, I bet there's some more that I didn't get to, a chance to shake hands with, so it's, it's good, to, good to say who I am. Has anyone noticed how uh, the streets have changed in, in one week? One week? Here's, here's what happened in one week. Uh, now we have slippery streets. Before, we had less streets. <laughs> it seems like the city workers just went crazy mad in the last week to just seal up all these holes and, and fix everything. Um, I, sometimes people call the busy lives, we live the rat race. And I felt like in Moose Jaw over the last couple months, it was like the rats in a maze race. Because uh, did you just try to go from where you live to the church or, or to get to the mall or to get to South Hill, right? You know, you got three options to South Hill, which one will be open? Like it's always really, it's fascinating. I found it, some days I would get up and I'd, I'd you know, find my way to my destination. Next morning I'd get up and go, well, now I know how it's done and it would change. And I was just like, this is like an adventure. Choose your own adventure every single day. And um, it's all because of pipes. It's all because of pipes. Um, I went down to City Hall. Uh, if you've been to City Hall in the last probably year or two, they have a pipe on display, and it's sort of broken on one end, and then inside the pipe you can see all the buildup inside, that the pipe is like mostly clogged inside. And uh, our city has a lot of old pipes, lots of different styles, some cast iron, some that were made out of paper. Paper? Really? That's amazing to me. I mean, it's so creative that you could make a pipe out of like cardboard or paper. Uh, maybe not smart, but it's creative, really creative, right? Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Amazing, the different things people try through the years. But anyhow, getting the pipes fixed, getting the pipes fixed, because it's really not about pipes, it's about water, right? It's about water, clean, beautiful water coming to your home, the, kind of, the stuff of life, the things you need to live. And um, today I want to talk about the struggle, uh, the spiritual struggle to get spiritual water. And I'm going to be reading out of John chapter 4 and uh, verse 5 to 15. This is about Jesus. It says, So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near a plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, 
as also did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. In verse 10, Jesus says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is to ask you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Who does she think is asking her for a drink? Who does she think this man is? We see the story. I won't read the whole story because for time reasons this morning we don't have time. But she goes through several stages of understanding who Jesus is. The first one she gets right away. Just by his appearance she says, you're a Jewish man. Why are you asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? We don't associate with each other. It's really strange. You're you're breaking several rules of our culture to make this request. Um, But I can see one thing about you I know. You're a Jewish man. Now the story goes on. He reveals some things about her, miraculously tells her about her past, and then she comes to a new conclusion. The second thing she knows about him is she says, oh, oh. He tells the story. He says, you know, You've been married five times, and the guy you're with right now, you're not married to. And she's taken aback, and she says, okay, you're, you're a prophet. Uh, okay, you're a Jewish man, but you're a prophet. And then he goes on and talks to her about being the Messiah. And then she starts to consider that, and she says, could he be the Messiah? And then she finally comes to the last conclusion. She goes back in town. She tells everybody, come, see this guy. He told me everything about my life. And, and, he's having, and having interaction with him. People come, they visit with him. And then not just she, but several of her neighbors come to the conclusion that this man is the savior of the world. So four steps. A Jewish man, whoa, he's a prophet. Could he be the Messiah? Surely he's the savior of the world. If you knew the gift of God and who it is to ask you for a drink... You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jeremiah 2 and 13 tells us something more about Jesus. tells us something more about, about God himself. It says, my people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. See, God, or Jesus, it's, you know, sometimes the Trinity gets us confused, but God is the source of, he's the spring of living water. Now, what is living water? You see the phrase living water several times throughout Scripture. You see it in the Old Testament. You see it in the Gospels. You see it uh, in the Epistles. You see it in the book of Revelation. You see it all the way through. Living water, living water, living water, living water. What is this living water? I think the, the phrase living water speaks to the thirst that we have within every one of us. A thirst that's not uh, a thirst as in my body needs H2O, but it's a thirst like my soul needs something. My soul is thirsty. And, I, and, and what could quench the thirst uh, that I have within me? Um, when I was in youth ministry, we often would talk about what do, what do students need? What do they need? Well, they need love, acceptance, belonging. Those were sort of the big three we often talked about. They need love, acceptance, and belonging. And uh, how can we provide that? How can we, we help them experience love? How can we help them experience being accepted? How can we help them experience belonging? Um, 
we often would talk about those things. Um, living water is, the, is, I think, the Bible's expression for how God comes to meet our deepest needs. He comes to meet our deepest thirst. The stuff that's below the surface. Last week, um, Kurt, Pastor Kurt was up here and he was speaking about um, idolatry. And how the tendency of human beings to uh, not go to God, but go to some other thing that will possibly satisfy them. And that's what our verse that I read from Jeremiah is saying. It says, my people have committed two sins. First, they've forsaken me, the spring of living water. God is the source that can satisfy the, the thirst of your soul. But the second part is they've dug their own cisterns. How many have a cistern in your house? We have lots of 100-year-old houses. And, yeah, you got a cistern. Maybe it's covered up. Maybe you don't even know you have a cistern. Yeah, I've gone in a few, like, you know, open houses, and I'm, like, in the house, and I'm like, hey, what's that? And it's like, that's the cistern. We've decorated it. We've hid it. But it's there. That's the thing that used to hold water. Now we have pipes, and some of them are good. <laughs> and they're all getting better. Good. But these, these people have dug their own cisterns. These are broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So two sins. One, forsaking God. The only one who can really satisfy that, that thirst in our soul uh, for love, acceptance, belonging, and so much more. And secondly, then gone to another source. Right? So Kurt was talking about last week. He was saying we often talk about idolatry like, you know, people who worship idols. But there are idols in our culture too. And he was talking about Lots of different things. We talk about money, and uh, you talk about power, and, and acceptance is another one. We can make an idol out of that. We can make an idol out of family. We can make an idol out of all sorts of things, evil things and good things. We just make them ultimate things, and they all become bad. And it's because we've forsaken the spring of living water. We've forsaken the source. Jesus in John 6.35 said this, This is when a whole bunch of people have just seen him feed the 5,000. So they know he can produce food. That's big. So people follow him all across. They they follow him. The miracle happens on one side of the lake. He goes to the other side of the lake. People find out he's on the other side of the lake. They get on boats and go across the other side of the lake because he can make bread. He can feed their physical hunger. And so they come here and they're saying, give us bread, give us bread. We'd love it. Just make that bread. Just keep making the bread, Jesus. Can you just open a bakery, Jesus? That's That's what we want. That's what we desire. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. So Jesus declares that he's here to satisfy that soul thirst that we have. That he himself is the source of our satisfaction. He's he's the spring of living water, the unending source of life. He's what our soul craves. None of those other things, none of those idols that we talked about last week can quench the thirst of our soul. John 7, 37 to 39 says this. On the last and greatest day of the festival, another story about Jesus. Jesus stood and said in a loud voice. Now this is the festival of booths. Booths. All the festivals in the, that, so they would have these things of remembrance. We did a, we did a, what God told us, or what Jesus said for his followers to do to remember him 
in this era. In that era, they were remembering how God provided for them in the Old Testament times. So they had the Festival of Booths, which was sort of remembering the time when they were in the wilderness and they had to live in tents instead of houses. They were always in a temporary uh, moving scenario, take down your tent. You know, if you've ever backpacked somewhere and you, you hike, 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 put up your tent, take down your tent, hike, hike, hike. That's what they did for years and years and years. So they had this festival where they remembered that that's how they used to live, but that God brought them into the promised land. He brought them into a place where they could settle down and they could plant crops and could build houses and plant vineyards and have families and just <sighs> finally be in one location, a good land. So they'd have this festival to remind themselves, we didn't always live like this, but God brought us into this. God gave us this promised land. He gave us, he gave us the land of Israel. And so they have this festival. And part of remembering that is remembering the fact when we were in the desert, Water was scarce. So Jesus, at the end of the festival, he gets up and he says, it's the last and greatest day of the festival, it says. He stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So, let me tell you the two things that I want to just draw out about this living water. And about Jesus or God being the living water in your life. First thing is, he wants to satisfy you in such a way that your thirst is quenched. And he does that through relationship with him. He does that through relationship with him. Uh, tonight is the prayer summit. It's our, one of our ways to really reinforce in our church that prayer is absolutely essential for every believer in every aspect of our lives. It's just we absolutely need to walk in prayer. We absolutely need to be, and prayer, what is prayer? Let's just, let's back it up and make it even simpler. What is prayer? Prayer is, is it's friendship with God. It's relationship with God. That's one aspect of it. And the other thing is, it's, it's asking for God's assistance. So it's friendship with God and asking for his friendly assistance. That's what it is. That's, so often we emphasize one part of, pr of prayer and maybe not the other. Sometimes people like to say, well, prayer is just all about relationship with God. Yes, that's true. But God also invites us to ask for things that we don't have or that we need and to believe in faith that he can provide. Other people might go the other way. They say, oh, I'm all about that asking and getting answers to prayer and stuff like that, and I'll just do that. But, but they forget about the relationship aspect. And so they might be all zoned in on, I'm going to get stuff, I'm going to, God's going to provide for me, and it's, but they, they forget that it's, it's meant to be done in relationship. So those two things have to be tethered together. They really can't be separated, or your prayer life is not really what it should be. It's not all just, you know, soaking in Jesus' sweet presence and, in, and, uh, and, and uh, building that relationship. He tells us to ask. He tells us to ask. He tells us to step out in faith, to believe for things. Uh, to persist in prayer, to fight in prayer even. He tells us to do those things. On the flip side, it's not all asking, right? That would be a stunted relationship. That's sometimes the relationship we have with our very small children. 
asking, 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 and then we hope there'll be those moments where there'll be relationship, right? I love you. I'm proud of you. Let's cuddle. My youngest says, huggle. Let's huggle. Yeah, we'll huggle. I love huggling. Didn't even know it was a thing until this year. So that's what prayer is. That's what prayer is. Prayer is those two things. And um, God is wanting through prayer, through relationship with God, for our souls to be satisfied. For our souls to be satisfied. Again, he is the spring of living water. Now, this is what I notice in my life. It's sort of like that, that relationship between prayer and sin. And that's not like a nice relationship. It's an adversarial relationship in my life. On one hand, when I am in prayer more, when I'm in prayer more, I notice that, well, let's just sit, let's qualify it here. When I'm in prayer more and I am in prayer not just asking but relating to God as my father, looking at what scripture says about how he loves me, about how he cares for me, reading his promises of faithfulness, uh, reading how his love is so pure that it's, it's unlike any love I've actually ever tasted before. It's the purest form of love you can ever experience. And, 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 and really hanging on to those promises that he's, he's that faithful, he's that loving, he's that good, he's that committed to me, he's for me, not against me, all those things, it does something to me in my heart. It does something on the inside. And... It changes me in relationship to other people. You know, when you get your heart filled up by God, you don't come needing someone else to fill up your heart the same way. You might still want to have a good relationship back and forth and all those things, but you don't come as a needy person. You don't, you don't come as a person who's, who's begging for love, acceptance, and belonging because you've already been experiencing it. We talk about being holy and whole. Well, when you are with God, God does a, 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 a work in this area, in the wholeness of your heart, that allows you to come into relationship with other people and you're not a leech relationally trying to get from them water to slake your thirst inside of your soul. No, you actually have received something from him. So you come in a much healthier way. Now, here's the thing. When I pray more... God shows me areas of sin in my life. So that might say, oh, no, I don't want to pray more. But the good thing about that is if you're a follower of Jesus, that, that sin that he reveals to you, he's giving you an opportunity to grow, to change, to be transformed, for that enslavement in that area to be broken, those chains where you say, I just keep repeating and repeating that same selfish behavior. He's giving you a, cha a chance for that to change. And so you pray, God reveals Areas of your heart, you confess that, and that means you just agree with God that it is sin. You repent, that means you turn from it. You say, I know that's wrong, I'm turning from that, I'm making different choices. Uh, I'm, I'm agreeing with you, God, I'm going the way that you want me to go. I'm choosing your path in this sort of, this why in the path, I'm choosing your path. And prayer leads to confession of sin, and confession of sin makes you feel super close to God, and so you pray more, and you pray more, and then you know, notice more sin, and you confess it, and you pray more, and, and it becomes this incredibly positive cycle in your life. 
sweeter and sweeter relationship with God, deeper and deeper satisfaction in your soul. But the opposite can happen. The opposite can happen. Sometimes we hang on to our sin. I had a real humdinger of a moment this week. I don't say humdinger very often. I'm glad I did. It feels good. I see why other people use it. Um, I had a moment with, my, with a prayer and sin this week. I was, I was praying, and as I was praying, God showed me an area uh, that I hadn't really surrendered to him. Much like some of you saw that drama we did a few weeks ago where Dave Falk, you know, stole the show, was a great actor. And uh, I was just like that. I was just like that, that skit we acted out. I was like this guy who was, I was like, okay, God, I want to relate to you, but I actually don't want to deal with this. And he was too good for that, isn't he? He cares about us too much to allow us to be enslaved by whatever it is, big thing or little thing. So I had this sort of wrestle with God time where I was like, okay, God, I just don't want, I, I, I want you and this too. Of course, he's too good for that too, isn't he? He knows that won't satisfy. He knows those are broken cisterns. He knows that can't hold water. And so he demands of us what satisfies us. He demands that we we turn and give him our full hearts because he knows that's the only way that dry desert will be quenched. So I wrestled with God and then relinquished. I put up the white flag and surrendered and said, okay, you took me to the mat and pinned me. I give up. And it was awesome after that. It was awesome after that. Because I realized I need him. I don't need this. I need him. It's so much better. So much better. So we're always in that, we're, we're, we're either on a cycle that is giving more and more life, the cycle of living water, or we're on the other cycle where we hang on to our sin, which makes us hide from in relationship with God, and so we don't pray, and because we don't pray, we don't get any other sins fixed or, or dealt with in our life, and it's a cycle of death. You wonder, I mean, you don't, I guess maybe you don't wonder. You wonder why at every turn Jesus is just telling people again and again, I'm the source that you need. I'm the source of living water. Come unto me. Now, it's not just, it gets even better. It's not just that God wants to satisfy you. I mean, that's enough. If, if someone just came into your life and said, you know what, my, you know what I'm going to do in your life? What? I'm going to. I'm going to bring you so much satisfaction. So much satisfaction like you've never experienced satisfaction before. You're like, whoa, where do I sign? Really? Yeah, I am going to satisfy. In fact, all the areas that are inside of you are areas of longing that you just think can never be satisfied. Or you've tried to fill them with all sorts of things that just don't fit. I'm actually going to come and fully satisfy those areas of your life. Whoa, really? That's amazing. But it gets better. It gets better. You say, well, how can it get better than God fully satisfying a person? The way that it gets better is what Jesus described in what this verse I just read. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, well, let me back it up again. Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. So that's the good first part. But the second part, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So, first, 
God wants you to be satisfied in him. His design is for you to be satisfied. But secondly, he's calling you to be satisfying. God is calling you to be satisfied and to be satisfying. He says, not only am I going to fill you up like a cistern, like a vessel full of water. He says, when my, when the water of who I am, when my life gets into you, when my love gets into you, when we have relationship that's strongly connected, when I begin to satisfy your soul, it's not just going to be that you're filled up, but it's going to, you yourself are going to be a spring of living water. It's not just that you are going to get what you need, you are going to become a source of satisfaction. You know, when I read uh, the greatest commandments, when I read, um, you know, they, uh, one person asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. I look at those sometimes and I think, man, they made it so simple and they just made it super hard too. Because I struggle to love God with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind. And I struggle to love my neighbor as myself. Maybe I'm the only one. Maybe there's a few more. I look at it and I go, oh, it's so simple, it's so straightforward, and yet I struggle to do it. God's desire is that he wants to satisfy you, but then once he satisfies you, your relationships change. So now I come to relationships and I say, hey, I've already, God's already I've provided love, acceptance, belonging, and so much more in my life. Now I come to you and I, I actually have something to give. And actually, in the giving of what God has given me to give, I find even greater satisfaction. Right? You all probably know that verse. I won't, I won't give you the reference, but it's more blessed to give than receive. That's from the Bible. Right? That is so true. So here it is. God satisfies us. We experience unconditional love like we've never experienced it before. He's, he's, he's doing a work in our lives. We realize we were made for him. This is so great. But then he says, I I'm calling you not just to love me with all your heart. I'm calling you into relationship and to love others as well. And you say, well, I think I actually could love others now because I'm not so needy with them. I actually could go into relationship and relate to them and, and I have something to give. I've not just been filled up. I've become a spring of living water. God's put something in me uh, that gives. And as I give it, I experience even greater joy. I really, this is really true. It is more blessed to give than to receive. So God has made you to be satisfied. He's also made you to be satisfying. And that others would experience a taste of the love of God through interaction with you. So, I asked God this question this week of my, for my own life. I said, God, what if you want to flow through me, if you want to satisfy me and also make me satisfying to other people, that it would be delightful to interact with me. I'm sure it's not always that way, but that's your desire. That's your design. That's your plan. That's where you're going with this. You're dealing with sin in my life, stage by stage. On the cross, you dealt with my past, right? 
In the past, he, he, he took away the penalty of sin, the separation from God, that separation of a relationship. He dealt with that on the cross. So that's already, that's already mine. He took away the penalty of sin in my life. What's he doing in my present? Right now, he's dealing, he's taking away the power of sin, right? Because we can, sin, selfishness, makes us a slave, right? We, 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 we want to make the whole world about ourselves, and it's, it's a, it, it, it degenerates worse and worse. But basically, we find ourselves doing things we don't want to do, and we say, whoa, am I even in charge here? Do I even have power to make these choices? And Jesus came and he broke the power, the authority of sin in our lives. And then he leads us on this path of transformation. As we pray, as we draw close to him in relationship, he shows us stuff. He says, hey, Steve, it's time. We're going to deal with this together. I don't want to. I want you and that. He's saying, you can only have one. Okay, I want you. And then he changes us. He's, he's freeing us from the power of sin. So the penalty of sin, he's already freed us. The power of sin, he's doing that. And in the future, he'll free us from the presence of sin. Isn't that crazy? I'm really excited about that part. Not to be in a fight with sin all the time. Not to be always, you know, come and hammer and nail to, to see if I can win this battle. But to actually be free from the presence of sin. Revelation 7.17 says this. For the Lamb, that's Jesus, at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. It's talking about eternity. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Isn't that awesome? In the Old Testament, he said, I'm the spring of living water. When Jesus came, the incarnation, Jesus, the God-man with, with people, he said, come to me. You'll never thirst again. I'll satisfy you. And I'll make you satisfying. I'll make you a spring of living water. What are you doing in this time between birth and eternity? Becoming filled up with me. Become filled up with me so that you can give to the world, so you can love me with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, and you can love your neighbor as yourself. So how does it begin? I think it begins in, first it, it starts with believing that Jesus is, is the the answer to our soul thirst. I think that's where it begins. It starts with a, a, a thirst for Jesus. Now, I, books have been written on this, so I'll, but I'll just, uh, one, I'd be paraphrasing the title, but basically it says, When You Don't Desire God, was the title of the book. And some of us find ourselves in that position. We say, I don't really desire God. I'm not sure even sure what God could give me or, or how God could satisfy me. When you talk about this, it seems abstract and hypothetical. Here's a prayer you can pray. Here's a prayer you can pray. Jesus, for some reason, I don't, I don't experience that thirst for you. Somehow my taste buds are tuned to other things. But I'm recognizing the truth that that cannot satisfy. And I do want to be satisfied in you. Sometimes what we've been consuming, what we've been taking in, what we've been going to, those broken cisterns, we've been drinking from that poisoned water and we've been saying, yeah, I, I think if I just had a more of this, 
right? Jim Carrey, he did a famous speech just a couple times ago. At, I, I can't remember what it was, Academy Awards or Golden Globes or I don't know, one of those ones. And uh, he got up and he did a speech and he said, I, as a, as a previous winner of this award, he says, I've won it twice. I just want to say how wonderful it is to win twice. In fact, if I only win it one more time, I'm sure I'll be satisfied. <laughs> and he's being funny, but he's being truthful. If only I get a little bit more of that stuff that didn't satisfy me, then I will be satisfied. It's just the quantity. I didn't get enough of the quantity. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter how much you get of that. It will never touch that thirst. Jim Carrey, you can get dozens and dozens and dozens of those awards. It will never, never, never touch that thirst that only Jesus can satisfy. He's created us to be in relationship with him. There is a soul thirst for God. There's a God-shaped vacuum within us that says, I need to fill this space. And we try to fill it with all sorts of different things. But it starts with a soul thirst for Jesus. So first we, we, we sense deep down that we that he is a source of complete and lasting joy. Maybe we've only tasted it. We've tasted it, we've seen God is good, but it's only a little bit. And there still is a lot of siren songs saying, hey, come and, you know, slake your thirst over here. Come and try this. Maybe if you had a little bit more of this, you'd find what you're looking for. And Jesus keeps saying, come, come and drink, come and drink. And so it starts with that. God makes us aware we need him. We, we get into relationship with him. This is where prayer is so amazing, right? You relate to God. You get close to him, and he begins to speak. It's, I don't know what it is. I, I seem to never learn, but it's like, it's like every time I experience God, I'm like, what am I thinking trying to satisfy myself with anything else? That's what I feel. But you can find me a week later going, huh, I wonder what's on Netflix. I wonder what I, I, man, I'm feeling, you know, lonely, hungry, angry, tired. wonder what I can find to deal with that. And then it'll be a few days later, oh, why would I try anything else? Jesus is amazing. I don't need anything. I thought, Jesus, he's amazing. And then a few days later, it's like, man, I really need something. I wonder what I <laughs> But as we pray, as we grow in prayer, as we grow in relating to God, it's, I talked about, somebody mentioned this a little while ago. They said when you talked about the paths in your brain, that was helpful to them. So I'll tell you about, this, they'll tell you that part again. Imagine your brain is a forest of trees. And that every time you use a part of your brain, you're creating a path through the trees. And as you use those neurons and those, those synapses and whatever, as you're using them, it's getting reinforced again and again and again and again and again. Every time you eat an Oreo cookie, it's reinforced that I get a little jolt of something good from an Oreo cookie. And so, if one Oreo cookie was good, a whole bag must be better. <laughs> and that gets reinforced and reinforced and reinforced and reinforced and reinforced, and then someday your doctor tells you you can't have Oreo cookies anymore. See, I'm going to die without Oreo cookies. It's the only thing that makes me happy. It's the only thing that makes me feel alive. 
Everything that kills me makes me feel alive. And so what do we do? We say, okay, I'm going to learn a new path. I'm going to, oh, this path is overgrown. Oh, this path is tangled with weeds. Oh, it's not clear through the trees, but I'm going to try this path. And you go, hey, that really is sort of good. I'm going to try that again. That is really what I need. That is so much better than Oreo cookies. And you develop a new path. Prayers like that too. We come to God and we say, God, um, I've tried a lot of things. I've tried, it seems like I've tried almost everything. And, and now I'm coming to you with my thirst. And God says, hey, this is going to be different. It's not going to be the law of diminishing returns where you get less and less and less and you need to take more and more to get less. It's actually the law of increasing returns where as you get to know me, as you, as you walk with me, uh, as you discover my character and my nature and who I am, that you're going to have greater and greater and greater joy. As you deal with uh, sins that have you enslaved, I show you these things and then I show you that I... I'm good and I want to I liberate you from these things and I want to free you. And your praise grows for me, your love, your enjoyment of me, your satisfaction grows. It's increasing joy, not a decreasing return. So God's called us to that. He's, got, he's called us to that. He's called us to um, experience him in all of his ways. So, We'll end with this. Let's stand together. Let's stand together. My experience with prayerlessness, seasons where I don't pray, I can confess it because Martin Luther confessed it. My experience with prayerlessness is that selfishness and sin grows in its power. And I become less satisfying to my wife, to my kids, to my friends. But God has in his plan for me to not only be satisfied by his living water, but to become a source of living water. And he's got that exact same plan for you. And so he calls, he says, come away. Come away with me. Spend time with me. Joe Dua quoted that verse, Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody just opens the door to relationship with me, I'll come in. I'll eat with them. I'll sit with them. We'll have relationship together. So God calls me away from seasons of prayerlessness where selfishness is growing into a new season. He calls me into a new season. He says, I've got way better things for you. Come and pray. Come and talk. Come and experience my friendship. Ask for my friendly assistance in your life. Come and walk in faith. Come and walk in expectation of what I can do in your life. And I'll make you a spring. I'll make you a delight. I'll make you a source of satisfaction. I'll change your human relations. I'll help you love your neighbor. And you will praise and you will love like you've never done before. 
Just come and drink of me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you call us into relationship. You call us into relationship. I thank you that you didn't sit passively by at the Feast of Booths and just look at all these lost and lonely people and say nothing. You said, come unto me with a loud voice. And you say that to us today. You say, come unto me. Come and drink. Come and drink. Come and experience relationship with me. Come and experience that I'm a good father. Come and experience that that I love you. I thank you for your call that rings in our ears, Lord Jesus, and I pray it ring in our hearts as well, that we wouldn't, uh, we wouldn't go to those broken cisterns to try to drink some sort of uh, water that's stale and polluted. But we come and experience the life that you've got for us. So, Lord, I pray for each one. You know the, you know the struggle that we have. You know the struggle that each one has. You know the struggle with prayerlessness that we struggle with individually. I don't know what it is across the board, but you know every heart, and you love every heart. doesn't matter how far they have gotten from you. You love them with a love that calls them back. Today, you're calling ones back to yourself. You're saying, come, live for me. Come, live for the one who died for you. And you're calling them into relationship, deep relationship. So, Lord, I pray that you'd help us in the decisions that follow. You'd help us in the decisions that affect our calendar, that affect our relationships, that affect our priorities. You call us into those things. You'd allow us to surrender the thing that we want as well as you. Help us to release that out of one hand and, and grab onto you with both. Because you're the source. You're the source. Lord, I just pray for each person who's here this week. Would you bless them with unexpected times with you this week? I pray you just bless them with unexpected times with you where they'd come and experience the relationship that you have made them for. And we ask that in your name. Amen.